Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With us this week, we've got the whole crew. We've got Jera. I am pushing! We've got Andy. Hey! We've got Sue! Hi, everybody! All right, and before we get started, we're going to go into a little housekeeping. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar per month and get awesome rewards. From thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries, you can visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We can also be found on Google Play, Stitcher, and now Spotify. You can also leave us a rating or a review on Facebook. And honestly, this is the simplest and easiest way to show support. It does so much for us just to be able to get feedback on a regular basis and to have that traffic coming through any one of those sites is is amazing. You can also now find us on Instagram! Ah. I've never done Instagram, so I'm going to let you guys do the Instagram and I'll stick to Twitter. I'm excited. Twitter is my (laughs) medium. I'll let Grace Insta. Send us photos of your cats with Star Trek books and things, and we will post them for you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I figure our brand on Insta is going to be cats and Star Trek and cats and Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And the occasional gray selfie. <laughs> yes. Let's be real. <laughs> Ooh, and speaking of cats, red alert, right, Sue? Red alert, we're having a giveaway. Thanks to our friends at Chronicle Books, we are giving away a copy of the newly released Star Trek The Next Generation Cats by Jenny Parks. To enter for this giveaway, just send us an email to crew at womenatwarp.com with the subject line TNG Cats and tell us your favorite Star Trek pet, whether it's Janeway's Irish Setter Molly, Data's Cat Spot, or any of the other animal companions we see across the franchise. Entries will remain open until Sunday, April 22nd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, and each response will be entered into a randomizer in order for us to choose a winner. For more information, there is a post on our blog. Uh, it is dated March 28th, so you might have to scroll back a bit to see that. And the title is just Giveaway Star Trek TNG Cats. So we've got a few cons coming up around the corner. We've got someone at Awesome Con, March 30th to April 1st. Yes. All right. And I believe you're uh, on a panel there? Yes, yeah, so we'll be doing a discovery panel on that's um friday at 3 30 at awesome con so that is in the dc area so if you're there come say hi i'll be scheduling a meetup at some point details to come awesome <laughs> we're gonna do that joke every single time awesome con con yeah i'm, I'm kind of excited for awesome con to be over <laughs> <laughs> well you know how i think it is awesome it's awesome <laughs> It's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. You know what else is awesome? Our book club. And we have a new selection for our book club. So if you want to join us in reading the Star Trek Starfleet Academy IDW comic book miniseries, that will be our next pick. It's available as a trade paperback. And um, it features sort of a crossover between the or not really, it, it, it features, um, it's set in the JJ verse storyline, um, and mixes that crew with a crew of original character Starfleet cadets with a real focus on diversity, both in terms of race, gender, and awesome alien species, uh, led by a Vulcan woman. So, uh, hop on over to Goodreads and search for the Women at Warp book club if you'd like to join the discussion. I'm holding it up right now as if you could see me. Yay. <laughs> See it with your mind's eye. <laughs> Do some gesturing like you're on like one of those shopping network channels and make sure to show off your manicure. Do some infomercial hands. People will get the vibe. Ah. Ooh. Ah. Also, not to be confused with those like young adult novels about Starfleet Academy that were made in the 90s. Those were awesome. They were awesome. We might do one at one point. <laughs> those were a thing, yes. On a more serious note, getting to the topic of our episode, sometimes things happen that are completely out of our control, and sometimes things just go completely ass end up, and it is just a total disaster. 
So well done. So pro. Such a segue. (laughs) So in case you haven't guessed, that means that our topic today is this TNG Season 5, Episode 5, Disaster! Disaster! Dun-dun-dun! I have to say now that whenever I hear the word disaster, I think of Aja's Princess Disaster from Drag Race. (laughs) I kind of wish she was in this episode, I'm not going to lie, but... I mean, it's a pretty good episode. She wasn't even born yet. (laughs) Probably not. I would cast her as the person who eventually comes and uh, drops a rope down into the turbo lift and saves Picard and the kids. (laughs) (laughs) I just always think of the way Beyonce pronounces the word disaster in uh, the telephone with Lady Gaga. It's not so much disaster as disaster. (laughs) And I really appreciate that. It feels like more of an onomatopoeia that way. Any hoozles. TNG Season 5, Episode 5, Episode Disaster. Teleplay by Ron Moore. Story by Ron Jarvis and Philip A. Scorza. Directed by Gabrielle Beaumont. A woman director. Oh! Oh, Lord! The clouds have parted! Mercy! I believe she's actually the second most prolific Star Trek woman director after Roxanne Dawson. Very cool. Yeah. That's still only a handful of episodes, right? Yes, I can look yeah. up the exact number. Let us just have this little victory here right now. Just blowing up my phone won't make me leave no faster. Put my coat on faster. Leave my phone no Should have left my phone at home because this is a disaster. She she directed seven episodes of TNG, one episode of Deep Space Nine, and one episode of Voyager. Good for her. Yeah. So. And good for us, the audience. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. I think this episode is really well directed, actually. Yeah. Do you want to give us a rundown of what the plot of this episode is? Uh, there's a disaster. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh! <laughs> and I'm sure this disaster occurs when all of the crew is well prepared and, you know, totally braced for whatever could happen, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh! Disaster! What happens is they run into a quantum filament, which is nothing like a cosmic string. And also not a thing. Okay, we'll get to Sue's Science Corner, okay, Sue? We'll get there. There's so much. (laughs) The entire room is Science Corner. So they run into the quantum filament, and everybody pretends to shake. It's pretty great. And then... The crew is separated into several different areas. Picard's trapped in the turbo lift with a bunch of kids. Uh, Roe, oh, <laughs> that's especially a disaster for, uh, for Picard. And then we've got Roe and O'Brien and Troy on the bridge. And then we've got Jordy and Beverly in a turbo bay. But, but Worf is in a totally calm situation here, right? Right? Worf is fine? Keiko has decided to turn Ten forward into her birthing room, which I appreciate as a power move. And <laughs> Welcome to my birth chamber. Oh yeah, and I almost forgot that Data's head and Riker are problem solving in the Jeffrey suits. Engineering. No, are they? Aren't they in the, like... Well, they get to engineering at the end. Okay. I like how the question isn't there wasn't just Data's head? Yeah, just Data's head. Mm-hmm. The rest of his body is pretty irrelevant. His head is the most important part. Guys, it sounds like this episode could be a real disaster. (laughs) And the prom is tomorrow. So overall, this episode's good, I think. Yeah, it's a really fun one. We've got a lot of little subplots going on, which makes it a really good ensemble episode. So we get a little bit of time with each of the characters and we get to really see them playing to their different strengths as characters and that really gives the actors a chance to do their thing. We also get all of our characters out of their element. So they're yes. not where they usually are. They're not in pairings that they usually would be in. Uh, so they get to do something different. And that's for just about everybody gets to do something different than they normally would in any given episode. Yeah. Which alone makes for good storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, if you had put, say, Picard on the bridge and Troy in the elevator with children, like, Oh, man. Both of those stories would be so much more boring because the point is, is that they're stretching a little bit and they're doing things that they're not maybe so comfortable with and like rising to the occasion, which is super cool. 
You know what also could have been funny, though? Jordy in the turbo lift with kids and Picard <laughs> directing Keiko's birth. <laughs> that could have been great. I feel like that would have been uncomfortable for everyone. <laughs> or if you wanted to go fanficy with it, if you wanted to go PC shipper with it, you could have put Picard and Beverly in the turbo bay thing. Cargo then- bay. Cargo bay, yeah. I don't know what a turbo bay is. I couldn't remember the term a turbo for it. bay is like a bay, but more turbo. It's an extra Literally. special cool bay. Okay, turbo. <laughs> Anyways, see, you have your bay sometimes, and then you have your turbo bay. It's a bay that's crossed into another game because its game wasn't popular anymore. <laughs> oh shit! It's turbo time. <laughs> But yeah, they could have been in the cargo bay. Is that better, Sue? Uh-huh. And they could have like made out and stuff. I would have been cool with that. That's totally fine. Or they could have helped deliver a baby together. Who would have known about the radiation and the explosives and how space works? And who would have talked to the kids about radishes? I would have just cut out all that stuff and just had them make out the whole time. <laughs> you know what you're about, and I respect that. <laughs> All right. uh, just saying. So should we start with Troy on the bridge? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I understand that for like exposition's sake, they had to have somebody asking questions. What does that mean? What is that protocol? But like it just makes Troy dumb. Yeah, she's on the bridge a lot of the time. These are all things that she would probably be familiar with or at least have a passing knowledge of. See, I don't I don't think it's unrealistic that she wouldn't have some of the deeper science knowledge, but I feel like she would know like isolation protocol. I feel like she would know like the emergency protocols. I think that it it didn't bother me actually this time as much as it used to. This like this part used to be my least favorite subplot for exactly that reason. But this time I kind of appreciated how it's brave to ask questions and that she stuck to her guns and that, like, in the end, she was right. The But I, I do agree with you that there were a couple times that I think it sort of crossed a line. I think particularly the way that O'Brien kind of explains things, like, when she's like, oh, it's like a con- quantum string. Oh, it's nothing like a quantum string. He just sounds, like, so disappointed that she didn't know that basic science thing. O'Brien is just sad that not everyone is engineers. Yeah, so I thought, like, that part did make her seem like she should have known something. But when it came to, like, making the tough calls, I appreciated that she didn't just, like, bluster and pretend she knew what she was doing when she didn't. Yeah, that would have been an easy way to take it, and I'm really glad they didn't, because that would have been so out of character for her, for one thing. I really appreciate her lack of ego. Like, she's not in it to look important, you know? She's in it to get them through this and you can see at the very beginning when she realizes she's in charge she's a little intimidated because she's not as aware of some of these command decisions and she doesn't try and hide that you know she's just like okay I would appreciate some advice I dig that a lot and I think that that's missing from a lot of leadership this idea that you can't show weakness or you can't show that you don't know everything for me it's a much better leadership quality to be able to admit and delegate when you are not as versed in this specific area because I think the best leaders have a passing knowledge of everything but like have people that are hired for specific things so like you're gonna go to O'Brien for specific engineering questions you know it really is a question of knowledge versus the wisdom to know when you don't know enough yeah and so I personally like this section i i get what you're saying sue and i there are moments where it gets a little bit cringy and they're kind of going leaning too hard into she doesn't know what she's doing i think the most frustrating part of it is the isolation protocol yeah especially because roe shows up a recently arrived ensign and is just like isolated isolation protocol whatever and they just go right into it and she's just left in the dark yeah i think that's the most egregious moment Although, so that's why I thought it was interesting when I read this quote that you found, Sue, from Michael Piller in Captain's Logs, where he said he thought we made a mistake with Ensign Rowe. And he says, we gave her the role of the disbeliever who had nowhere to go but lose in the end because she didn't believe Troy. I think as I wrote in a memo, it would have been much better if she'd been around a year with some victories before we threw her into that situation to look rather foolish. 
Because I don't think she actually looked foolish. I think she looked, like, overly pragmatic. She looked kind of like a jerk. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Some of the other quotes that I found from him, he says more clearly that his problem was that she apologized. (laughs) How dare she? Not not that she apologized in general, but that she apologized (laughs) so quickly. Like, you were right, counselor. I was definitely wrong. Mm. When Troy replies, like, you could have easily been right, yeah, that's accurate. Roe could yep. have easily been right. Yep. So there's a middle ground there that I kind of see what he's saying. Uh, and see, that's my that's my favorite part of the whole thing. As like, it's not a weakness to be able to admit when you were wrong. And it, it annoys me that we have turned it into a weakness. Or it's perceived as a weakness. She wasn't yeah. making she wasn't making irrational decisions. She wasn't pushing for something like completely irrational. Her plan was a good one. It just wasn't the right plan for this exact situation. And that's why I love that line back. Like you could have easily been right. She could have. Like it could have gone either way. So I just I kind of appreciated that as like two women, like they disagreed on the best way forward, but in the end, like they just wanted the best thing for the ship like both of them just wanted the best thing for the ship so i find it kind of inspiring that's the part that really elevates the episode let's be real well and i do appreciate that this episode is referenced you know two seasons later in thine own self when troy decides to take the bridge officer's test i don't know why it took two seasons to get there but yeah it is cool that she like decides to go further with her education i guess you could call it or career broaden her horizons Mm -hmm. can we move on to the elevator picard kid thing because that's my favorite part of this episode we're all gonna die future red shirt let's just be real that the real mvp of this episode is that little blonde kid who is obsessed with death (laughs) 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 that kid is awesome i just love his like unblinking stare like, his dead eyes. Like, I super dig it. There is a one thing I am a total sucker for. It's dead-eyed children. <laughs> Me too. I love how <laughs> creepy and weird he is. Ugh, it's amazing. Let's be real. I only like dead-eyed children because I totally was one. <laughs> Grace would have been in that elevator being like, well, I mean, death comes for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Time to make peace with our gods. <laughs> Just lie down on the floor and start chanting whatever gives you comfort. I just find it really amusing. He could he's what, like eight? I don't know. And he's already like accepted his own mortality to such a degree. It's pretty amazing. Some kids are there at an early age. Apparently. I definitely would have been the girl Marissa who's like too shy to talk to anyone, but I wish I was a kid that had been Radish Kid. Radish Kid is the real MVP of this episode. Radish Kid is the most kid-like yeah. to me. Yeah. I put some radishes in some dirt and they came up all weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's Good for you, Ensign Radish Kid. <laughs> I love how Picard's trying so hard to, like, care. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, ah, yes, yes, radishes, totally, very cool. I also really love it when they start crying, and it's so one of those, don't be crying (laughs) situations. He's like, no, okay, stop feeling. Everything will be fine. Can you tell by how I'm yelling that? (laughs) It's like, stop crying, and they're like, ah, it's so amazing. Ah, oh, Patrick Stewart is just so good at yeah. this. He does. He's so I cool. feel like, um, you know, the, the early time episodes where we, like, first learn that Picard really doesn't like kids, he's, like, he was so much stiffer then that by this point we get a good balance of he's still awkward with kids, but he is human. And making an active effort to not just be Captain Buzzkill. <laughs> Captain Buzzkill and the Radish Squad. I do appreciate that Marissa looks like the Pink Ranger. <laughs> oh, I didn't even realize that. That girl was serving Pink Ranger realness. <laughs> it was amazing, and I totally dug it. All of these kids are just having a blast in their respective onesie get-ups. <laughs> I also like that she got to be number one. 
Yeah, it was super cool of him to put the this young girl in charge, especially since she started out so unsure of herself. And by the end, she's making, she overruled Picard. It was amazing. <laughs> yep. She's like, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. We discussed it. We came to an a, agreement, and um, this is what we're going to do. And it's it's wonderful. It's it's really cool. Personally, I wouldn't have given the pips back. I would have just seen how long I could carry that position before Riker genuinely is like, okay, joke's over. Can I, I want my job back. Well, the, that was super cute at the end, especially her little, like, bashful grin in the very last scene. I would not have minded seeing her back. That was intentional. You know it. That was intentional, and she was she was making a power play there. <laughs> <laughs> she got sent to the tiny brig for tiny mutineers. This is the new Shelby. <laughs> <laughs> Look, can somebody please explain to me why there are no treads on Picard's boots? <laughs> you will notice the weirdest thing, Sue. <laughs> I didn't even notice that Picard was wearing boots. What are you talking about? Okay, can, I mean... Boots. We we see women in Trek wear heels on away missions a lot. Like Picard's just on the ship with those boots, at least in this episode. So as far as we know, like he has other shoes for things where he would need treads. It's so that members of Starfleet can walk single file to hide their numbers. <laughs> <laughs> it's so people can't track him across the ship. Oh, I just like it would be really difficult to climb that ladder with those really thin rungs when he's jumping between levels because his ankle's broken. With no treads on the shoes. I, I love you so much. <laughs> Guys, did we just find the polar opposite of Saru's platforms? <laughs> what if uh. they switched? <laughs> I would love to see Picard rock platforms. Although I probably we would probably love less Saru trying to walk in treadless shoes. It would be pretty shitty, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would have been nice if, like, the kids had been a tiny bit more diverse, uh, like, aliens, race, I don't know, there was, like, it was, it was three cute little white kids, they're adorable, but, you know, I don't know. Did you ever find out what Marissa's science project was? No, that's the other thing, is, like, she's too shy to talk about it, so she never tells us. She actually just wandered into the room when they were kids <laughs> out. <laughs> so, I'm gonna propose another uh, musical endeavor here and that would be uh captain picard's fun time sing-along album <laughs> in the style of marlo thomas where he it's just him doing some old favorites for the kids for when you need a respectable and reasonable bedtime anthem <laughs> oh my gosh i would buy that i would buy that and torture my cats with it <laughs> it's just him trying to play the penny whistle and singing a few gilbert and sullivan <laughs> songs there was so much singing in this episode. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good segue to get to Beverly and Jordy in the cargo bay. This is a cool subplot. I remember even the first time I saw this episode when I was still not very familiar with the characters. Uh, seeing them put their plan into action and being like, oh, that is badass. I like Beverly and Jordy a lot together in yeah. the subplot, but there's just a lot of bad science here it's fun if you don't understand how science works that's why i like it when i was re-watching it i was like uh i was thinking i was like wow we I, we need sue science corner at multiple points in this episode but this is really the part where we need sue science corner and this is like one of the scenes that as a kid this one was one of my favorite subplots because it's the most action-packed and the most like danger seeming um but now i'm like hmm Okay, before we get into Sue Science Corner, I have to I have to sing your theme song. All right, you ready? Sue Science Corner. 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 Okay. Now okay. go. So it's not even when they they open the blast doors or whatever, but from the very beginning when Jordy approaches that panel and Crusher's like the wall's hot. Jordy should be able to see that the wall's hot. <laughs> yes. He wasn't paying attention. He, he can't look at everything at once. He's not made of eyes. <laughs> <laughs> look, man, people expect a lot out of Geordi eye-wise for a blind guy. Well, sure. But then, I mean, for, you know, my second issue, we can quote data from the very first episode and say, correction, sir, blown out. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Now that's a deep cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, they definitely 
probably should not have held their breath because their lungs would have exploded. <laughs> now, see, that to me seems like a bigger issue than the fact that Picard's shoes don't have dreads. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny what we all notice. <laughs> but then also, they can vent the cargo bay from one control panel, but to re-ventilate it, that access panel's on another wall. <laughs> That seems like a really important design issue. <laughs> no one said it was a well-designed cargo bay. Just that it was a cargo bay. See, all of this stuff is stuff that I never notice. So, like, I feel like Sue, like, peels back the, the mystery. <laughs> like, lays bare all of the flaws. So I'm just gonna pretend you didn't say anything and think that all of this is plausible, and they vented green stuff. And, guys, we got to see Jordy and Crusher do a friggin' Ripley and survive the air getting pulled out of the room and be badass about it. Blown out. Blown <laughs> out! <laughs> but I guess science-wise, it's kind of a disaster. <laughs> that is accurate. I will say, too, that although I very much enjoyed Jordy's Gilbert and Sullivan, I feel like it's not even the best Gilbert and Sullivan we see in Star Trek. That's true. Oh, no. How much does it say that we've got a sliding scale of reference? (laughs) (laughs) But the best Gilbert and Sullivan in science fiction in general is definitely in Mass Effect with Morden when he sings Gilbert and Sullivan. So anytime I see anybody else do it, I just think about how Morden did it better. Well, we've also just got to admit that that was the greatest moment in musical history, so. We can burn every theater down. Nothing is going to top that. Crusher has a limited pool to choose from. There are a lot of roles in HMS Pinafore. There's a lot mm-hmm. of leading <laughs> male roles. She's our, like, you know, you know that Picard's not going to do it yet, even though he's a big fan. But, like, you know, he's not going to take the time to go to rehearsals. Barkley doesn't have his confidence together yet. Uh, O'Brien's having a baby. Like, she's got to just flatter Jordy into this part. Or maybe don't do this show, girl. Like, <laughs> if you have to chase somebody down at work and, like, pressure them into fake auditioning for you, maybe don't do that show. I love how it's just kind of a recurring thing that Beverly, in addition to being CMO, is also just the pushy community theater director of the <laughs> ship. What I'm really sad that we never saw was stage mom Bev. because you know she made wesley learn to tap dance you know it happened yeah wesley's little vaudeville act and she's there as like mama bev off by the side and i had a dream a wonderful dream wesley sparkle wesley sparkle (laughs) dance moms (laughs) amazing i wish we had gotten to see gates dance more That's true. Well, if wishes were horses, we'd be watching Deep Space Nine. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, like, they should have just done a straight-up musical episode. I would have so dug that. But, say la vie, say la vie. I will say that I really love, and this is one of the um, plot lines that we really, really see this in, is one thing I really love about this episode is that everybody is doing, like, God-tier problem-solving. Mm-hmm. Thinking out of the box, trying to find different ways to solve these really intense problems. And I really enjoy watching Bev and Jordy play off each other and, like, learn from each other and find solutions together. And they have a really cool chemistry. Agreed. I'm just imagining Wesley having to do the little lammy dance from Gravity Falls now. Ha <laughs> <sighs> Really, they should have just forgotten all of that uh, science-y stuff and just tap dance the whole time. You can dance your cares away like a fraggle! (laughs) (laughs) Plus, I feel like a tap dancing scene would not have gone amiss in in the cargo bay there. (laughs) I mean, more tap dancing scenes in general. I feel like I am pro more tap dancing. It's never a bad thing. Maybe when they throw Data's body in the current, Data's body could have tap danced. <laughs> uh, sp- 
speaking of weird problem solving, removing Data's head is up there. Yeah. Let's get ahead on that. <laughs> har, har, har. <laughs> you know what you brought me here for. <laughs> Puns. The highest level of punnery. It's punishment, to be sure. <laughs> but we have to say that Data really goes very quickly to the beheading solution. <laughs> he's been waiting. Has he been waiting for this? Is this something he's been wanting to try? Does he have a fetish? What's the deal, Data? And I super love that Riker's like, that's weird, bro. But he's like laughing about it. <laughs> Because that's what I would be like. He's having a moment of, dude, you're crazy as hell. And I like it. Really? Uh, is that really a good idea? Oh my. So I don't understand this at all. I mean, I don't try to understand the science ever. But like, what? What's happening? I don't get it. They're like crawling through vents or something. And then there's electricity and they want to throw data through it for some reason it's it, the computer will work better if they hook data up directly to it the thing that's always annoyed me a little bit about this part of the story is the very end when you know they they open a bulkhead and Riker's like for some reason these screens are working and data just like casually is like oh that that power has been rerouted from the bridge like don't you think that would have been important to know yeah i i really just him focused on his headless body. <laughs> That's very distracting. Because I'm not usually, like, trying to understand the sciencey stuff anyway. I usually just accept it. But that time I wasn't even listening to it. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I'm just disappointed that we didn't get Data's, you know, headless body getting up to reanimate or shenanigans running around Oh my in the gosh, background. no! <laughs> Not no. that kind of, not that part. Obviously not that part. How is that obvious? That's the most famous part. There's also some slapstick with just a headless body running around. Okay, fine. As long as that's that part, I'm fine with that. And not the <laughs> It other is part. the non-rapey part. <laughs> oh, Lord. It is the non-knees clamped together while watching it in the theater part. <laughs> Poor Sue. Do you know what we're talking about? She's probably better off not knowing. Yeah, if you don't know, we're not going to tell you. I don't actually know either, but I'm entertained and disgusted at the same time. Just look back on Jeffrey Combs' IMDb. Don't do that. You're better <laughs> off not knowing. Do it, it'll be fun. Okay. See what you find. <sighs> it's nothing but voice acting. Really. <laughs> really. Grace is evil. You knew that when you married me. But, I mean, I think this is the plot line that has the le least, I don't know, good stuff in it. Yeah. It's really just, yeah, it's really just a sight gag about headless data. Yes. And what's even the point of headless data if Mark Twain isn't there? Mm. Yeah, right? I mean, if there's no time travel, I'm bored. Well, not bored. I, it is still funny. But, like, compared to, say, Picard and Radish Boy, boy <laughs> obsessed with death. It's definitely not the strongest part of all of these various plot lines. So Keiko and Worf. Yes. Oh, goodness. Do you know what this situation sounds like? Do you know how it sounds like it's going to play out? Do you know? Before we even get to the birth of Molly, I want to address something that happened. This is a In the very beginning of the episode where, you know, they're all just hanging out in 10 forward. And they're talking about the baby and the due date, and nobody, like, reaches out and touches Keiko until she invites them yeah, to. Yeah, I noticed that, too. Yay! He tells Riker to feel, and then when he's done, Data asks if he can. Yeah. And I was like, good job. Agreed. Excellent that is a good example. Don't just go out and touch other people, A. B, don't just think you're entitled to touch a pregnant woman's body. She is having a baby. She is playing host to a foreign organism. You do not need to be a second foreign organism. Or third. I don't know how many babies you're having. The other thing is that Riker apparently thinks that everybody should name their kid <laughs> after him. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, no. And also your name is boring. Yeah. They're going to retaliate and name the baby Riker's Beard. Riker's Beard O'Brien. 
I tried to convince my brother to name uh, my first nephew Jean-Luc because he was looking for a J name, but he didn't go for it. I've told you guys my Voyager child naming story, right? Maybe? I don't think so. Uh, my cousin Alice went to high school with a kid, and they were all going around introducing themselves on the first day. And and he's like, hi, my name is Chuck. It's short for Chakotay. And someone said, oh, wow, is that a Native American name? And his response was, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> he was named after the character on Voyager. Oh, wow. Wow. I had a friend whose mom told her she could name her baby brother, and she picked Spock. And they would not let her name her brother Spock. Yeah. So his name is Kirk. That is a, that is really a tragedy. That's a sad story. I feel like middle name. I feel like that would be a fair middle name and then that way when the kid gets older, if he wants to change his name to Spock, it's easy. <laughs> really long-term planning there, Jara. I like it. I think it would depend on the last name. Like if it's something that works, like Spock Crocker. What? <laughs> what kind of name is Spock Crocker? What is good one? That? One that has rhythm to it, <laughs> as opposed to like Spock Andrews. That doesn't have quite as much mustard to it. <laughs> Spock oh. Crocker. She was also probably like five or six at the time. So a really awesome kid is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. I really hope there's someone out there named Kirk McCoy who gets asked every time. So middle name Spock? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Derek. <laughs> I just, I just, I just think it's so funny that Riker doesn't even really know Keiko and O'Brien that much. He's like, well, you're obviously going to name your kid after me. I mean, he's mostly joking. I think yeah. you agree that he's probably yeah. joking, but I still think it's funny. William. And also um, that, like, they're very attached to let's name it after one of our dads kind of thing. But in the end, turns out that doesn't work. And But what do we think about, like, the whole birth uh, situation itself? Because, I mean, I think it's hilarious and I think it's one of, like, Keiko's better episodes. But I was trying to, like, look at it a little bit critically and wondering what other folks think. It's so fast. <laughs> it is so fast. Yeah. I do appreciate that this is a situation where we really do see the guy involved, who's kind of the stand-in for a medical figure, is the unreasonable one placing unrealistic expectations on the mother-to-be, which is something we do see and don't really see talked enough about the fact that a lot of women's genuine concerns in childbirth and during the pregnancy process are really written off as the woman being hormonal or hysterical and so things go unaddressed and are instead decisions are made by her medical professional when they should be made by her that's something we see a lot and i do appreciate that we really get to see Warp, you're very clearly being the unreasonable one yeah. here opposed to keiko being like no i i know what's i know what is happening more than you do here mm -hmm. that said this episode uh, the whole situation really is kind of played for yucks. I mean, it's, it is funny. It is. It is. It's very yeah. funny. Like, congratulations, you are now fully dilated. You may now give birth. <laughs> Going back to that a little bit, though, Grace, that is actually a really serious issue and contributes to a higher maternal mortality rate than we need to have. Yeah, and we do really have a culture of kind of saying, just sit back and let the doctor do what the doctor thinks is right when this is something where... Another person is very heavily involved in your body, and you have a level of right and a level of say in what goes on there, and sometimes that is ignored by medical professionals. The other thing is, like, there's lots of studies that show that, so female pain in general in medical settings is often underestimated, which can be really a problem, but there's also a racial aspect in that black women's pain is especially underestimated. Yeah. To the point where black women have a higher maternal mor mortality rate in America than white women do. And a lot of it has to do with the way they're treated by medical professionals. Which is really, really horrible considering that dates back as far to, um, I can't remember his name, but he's considered the mo father of modern gynecology. And he got most of his information from performing, we'll call them experiments, on unwilling black women because he said they don't feel pain the same way re uh, regular women do. Which is horrifying. And monstrous. 
J. Marion Sims is his name. And there's a statue of him in Central Park. Huh. And there's been some lovely, some lovely graffiti on it. And often protests around it, yes. Yeah. There's a lot to protest there. There's a lot to unpack there. And I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but women not being allowed to be in charge of aspects of their own biology is pretty freaking scary. Yeah, definitely. But in this case, I, I think it's it's pretty well done, this scene. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not realistic. It's hilariously not realistic. It's treated as intense, but not horrifyingly so. Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's fun, and Keiko and Worf are fun together. And I think we can agree that like a lot of the jokes really land well. And overall, it's a it's a pretty good scene, and it's a pretty good plot, and and I enjoy it immensely. And I think it's nice to see it the spotlight on Keiko because we don't get that very often. And I actually really like Keiko. Mm-hmm. So it's cool for me. I like Keiko when they know what to do with her. Yeah. I also think it's one of the first times I remember seeing an umbilical cord. Yes. On TV. Yep. And I mean, it's great because like the minute the baby's out, she can reach over and be like, give me a drink. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. We just need to disinfect my liver. (laughs) Yeah. Not science. But anyway. (laughs) We're starting a new segment here called Jera's Lush Corner. (laughs) Jarrah's boozy corner. (laughs) Well, what subplots would we have liked to see going on in this disaster? Because I want to know where Guinan was during all of this. Yeah, it's true. She's not in town forward. Guinan in her quarters with a super hot ensign who's really worried and wants to get out. We're all gonna die! And he's like, "I I have duties! And she's like, oh, yes, you do. Your booty is my duty. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they did a pretty good balance between, like, fun and funny mm-hmm. puns and then, like, a little more tense. So I think, that, like, in that way, they really hit a lot of different kind of problems. I don't know. I just really think this ep- episode is a fun one, and I enjoyed rewatching it. Yeah. What's not to like? Yeah, it hits a lot of different notes, which is really good as far as an ensemble episode goes we get to see a little bit of everyone again and i feel like post tng this kind of episode is is now kind of par for the course with star trek that every now and then you absolutely have to have an ensemble episode where it's just everyone reacting to the same thing Mm -hmm. and i really appreciate that because i think that makes for really good storytelling I also like episodes where the shenanigans are, like, the A plot instead of, like, a weird B plot that's, yes. like, thrown in. Yes. So, and when it's done well, I think it's really fun. Yeah. Fun to watch because a lot of weird crap would happen in space, and it is fun to see how our crew responds to that. Let's just establish space is weird. Space is weird. And I mean, what you're saying is, is like this this has kind of become par for the course but it wasn't really until this point and i mean at least like jerry taylor felt um that this was very much breaking formula changing something and doing a different kind of story not being like what someone like someone might say this wasn't star trek maybe because it doesn't have like really a message but uh yeah i mean it was definitely fun and i don't think it it broke out of the spirit I think it's more of a character study than anything. Maybe not a super deep dive, but like what drives most of the enjoyment of this episode is the crew's personality. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I I find that to be pretty fun. Yeah. I, I think that the closest we would get to an episode like this, episode like this in Discovery is the mud episode Mm -hmm. and i would like to see that more for discovery because i feel like discovery is kind of walking the line of being too art yeah and like not having these kind of fun not silly but like more lighthearted episodes and i would like to see them kind of try that out a little bit more i mean this isn't a morality play like a lot of other trek but i would say there is a message i mean every single one of our characters is out of their element but they're working together and making do the best they can to solve their problems. That seems like a pretty good message to me. And very trekky. Yes. And that everyone has their own way to cope with <laughs> disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but if if it had been I don't know Riker and Data in the cargo bay, and Beverly and Jordy in engineering, we would have had probably different solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's it's kind of showing how everybody's different strengths come into play. So like in especially in that Roy uh, Roy hey Roy I found their ship name in the. <laughs> In the row Troy scenes, it's kind of like they have such different skill sets mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and such different problem-solving techniques and such different priorities. And it's super interesting to see those conflict. So actually, I want to jump back to that for half a second because I think the other part of that that bothers me is that the disdain that Roe seems to have for Troy yes. Yeah. When O'Brien points out that she's the, the highest ranking officer. Yeah, she's just like, Counselor Troy. So, like, before she even suggests anything, Ro has put herself in this opposing position. Yeah. And I think that's part of the frustration. Yeah, we've already got Ro as kind of this standoffish char- uh, person as a character. It felt a little unnecessary to add that extra disdain. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it fit with her character, although she maybe would have, like given Troy at least the opportunity to say what she wanted to do and Mm -hmm. then maybe developed a disdain when it was clear Troy didn't know really these things. But the other thing that was a little weird was also, well, maybe not weird at this time in in the series, but it seemed like Ro knew more about engineering than O'Brien did. Which is weird. I mean, at this point, he really is still the transporter chief. But he is in engineering. Yeah. Well, well, he's done some engineering feats and Ro is a pilot. So I don't know. I think they just set her up to be hyper <laughs> because they wanted to contrast her with mm-hmm. Troy. Yeah, she was here to be a foil. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because contrasting super hyper-competent Roe and then, like, unsure, maybe not as confident in her skills, Troy, but then Troy ends up making the right decision. I just think that's kind of interesting. We should say, too, that this is a, a strong Bechdel pass here. Oh, definitely, mm-hmm. which is nice. And, I mean, it's not its not the typical kind of conflict that you would see between female characters in this kind of, like, time frame of TV. So... I definitely appreciate that, yeah. It's, it's, it's about, like, science and decision-making and, like, leadership. And that, that's, that's cool. And it does make me wonder about Troy's rank. Like, is that just the rank you get when you're the head counselor on a ship? You're automatically lieutenant commander? There are a lot of questions about Troy's career that I have. We have an entire episode devoted to that, I'm sure. I mean, it's possible that she was, like, always assigned to counseling and just rose through the ranks based on her performance in her job and OA missions and diplomacy and things like that. Mm-hmm. But there are those positions in the actual military as well. It's just like... I, I don't know the phrase for it, but it's almost like an honorary rank. Well, like sort of like O'Brien in Deep Space Nine when, I mean, that's not quite the same, but they like, they keep saying that he's um, like, what do they call it? A non-com or? Yeah. So he's in charge of a department, but he doesn't have the same rank. That's why he's chief. But that's, that is a little bit different than saying like someone's lieutenant commander. That aside, are we ready to get into our final thoughts on this episode? Sure. I'm disappointed that we didn't get to hear the laughing Vulcan and his dog. Yes. Yeah, there's, there was a lot of potential there. But again, I'm feeling like we can fill all that out with Uncle Picard sings the fun times. <laughs> <laughs> and according to Ron Moore in get this, an AOL chat in 1998. So is that like pre-Reddit Ask Me Anything? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. PR, pro, uh, proto-Reddit. So what did he say in this? The quote we have here is that it uh, he was asked if it was a reference to Cybok, and he explained, I just liked the image the title of the song conjured up. But if the laughing Vulcan and his dog isn't sung to the tune of the Yellow Rose of Texas, what's even the point? <laughs> <laughs> well, Grace, you have to write that. I have to write everything, don't I? I'm trying to think of a good rating metric. Yeah. I think I'm going to rate this definitely... 7.5 weird radishes out of 10. In that it is genuinely an all-around fun episode. Even if it does have a few problems. Okay, I will give it 8 out of 10 creepy kids' morbid thoughts. 
That little kid is like the shining kid of the Enterprise. Unblinking, dead-eyed kids are just my crack. I love them. I will give this four out of five disembodied datas. I will give it eight out of ten things that almost explode but don't. (laughs) All around, some positive stuff. Yeah. Just one thing that we kind of forgot. The woman who was in charge of the bridge. Oh, yeah. There was a woman in charge of the bridge before, unfortunately, the console destroyed her. Yeah. Those consoles are a freaking death trap. Lieutenant Monroe, right? Yeah. So that was cool. More like Mo- Lieutenant Monroe. Damn, a console just exploded. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Comedy. Monroe. No, she better don't. <laughs> Monroe, what a disaster. <laughs> Uh, I I wonder if there is a way for us to say disaster more in this episode. Disaster. (laughs) Disaster. Disaster. Overall, a good episode, I think. Yeah. So in case another disaster does come around, where can people find all of us online? Andy, where can they find you? Easiest place is on Twitter, at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting through my first time through Star Trek. But I have to warn you, I'm terrible in a disaster and we'd probably die. (laughs) (laughs) And what about you, Sue? You can find me on Twitter at Speltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And what about you, Jarrah? You can also find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And you can find me on Twitter at BonecrusherJank. That's B-O-N-E-C-R-U-S-H-E-R-J-E-N-K. And also in the elevator shaft, tending to my radishes. So creepy. <laughs> I will stare, though. Fair warning. <sighs> and if you'd like to reach out to us as a show, you can email crew at womenatwarp.com. Find us on Twitter at Women at Warp. Find us on Instagram at Women at Warp. Find us on Facebook at guess what? Facebook.com slash Women at Warp. You can also find other podcasts from the Roddenberry Podcast Network over at podcast.roddenberry.com. Oh, no, guys. I, I, I think I see something on the horizon. I... I, I, oh god it, it's a disaster 